Thanks for tuning in again. We are talking about education today, and today we're going to go a little bit more into our background about education and our personal experiences. But before we get started with the conversation, I wanted to share with you a little known fact about a school in Africa. So about around an 859 AD, a school was founded in Morocco by a princess in Tunisia and it is the oldest university in the world. The university has been recognized by UNESCO and the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest, oldest existing continually operating university and is the first institution in the world to issue education degrees. So that is our fact for today. And if you want to do more research about the university, it is located in the city of Fez and was once a leading spiritual and education center in the Muslim world. So that is a little bit of history that you can research and find more about because last week we talked about Africa being the golden age of Africa. And so if you wanted to learn more, this is just a little tidbit tidbit so that you can follow up and learn more about that institution. All right, we hope you have a wonderful time listening to the rest of the conversation. It's now time for the word of the episode. Elimu, Hyena, and Wisho, Swahili, for education has no end. Learning, indeed, is infinite. As humans, we are hardwired to learn and adapt to our surroundings and situations. We are inherently learners, and we are all capable of learning. Ask questions and don't use your age, status, or current abilities to limit or confine your learning. Take action, try new things, and don't be afraid of making mistakes. This is Cleverly Poachers Kids! <laughs> In this segment, we talk to kids about different topics. So, Amira, we're talking about hobbies and activities. Yeah. What kind of things do you like to do for fun? I like to do pottery, which is also known as ceramics. And sometimes gymnastics and play on my phone and do Roblox. (laughs) Play on your phone and do Roblox, gymnastics, and pottery. That sounds great. So what kind of things do you like to make with your pottery? I like to make pinch pots and other things. I've made a I've made like two bunnies and they've both exploded in the kiln, which is the oven that they use to like I guess set the pottery. So it's okay. hard. You said they exploded. How does pottery explode in the kiln? I think it's like has something to do with the air bubbles that like are in the clay that we didn't get out or something like that. 
Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, what other things do you... Well, I'm not saying no other things, but... What do you like to do with Roblox? Why is Roblox noteworthy? I like to play Roblox because it's not just one game. It's more than one game. I can play it on the computer and on my phone. And I can I like to play with my cousins. So what are you playing? Royal High, Meep City, <laughs> and more. Like we, we play some pretty random stuff. All right. And what was the other thing? You said gymnastics, right? I remember you used to do gymnastics formally at the Fairland? Yes. Well yes. At the sports complex. What did you like about that? What did you do? Well, I so I started out um with like floor regular gymnastics and then I went up to trampoline gymnastics. Trampoline and tumbling. How much fun was that? Really fun. <laughs> I even learned how to do a front flip better. Already like I already knew how to do a front flip, but I got better at it. Oh. Cool. I was never able to I still I can do it, but I have to do it on a trampoline and I still can't land it. You know, when I was a child, the closest thing to gymnastics I could do was bend over backwards. And that was it. Well, I guess a cartwheel or something like that. But Can you still do it? Um, probably. I definitely cannot do a backbend anymore. I don't trust myself to catch myself. <laughs> I could help you. Well, with help, I probably could. I can do it from... The floor, you know, push up from the floor. <laughs> I can go from standing up to back. Still? Okay. And welcome back to episode three, Cleverly Changing Podcast. So glad you decided to join us. Today, we're going to be discussing our own personal educational backgrounds and educational journeys. And, yeah. All right, so... What is your tale of two cities? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my background is... I went to public school the very first for the first few years of my life in elementary school all of elementary school I went to public school the local public school and then when I went to middle school I went to middle one year of public school in middle school and then seven and eighth grade I went to a private school and then ninth grade year I went back to a public school and then 10th through through 12th I went to a private school <laughs> so that's like back and forth all throughout my educational experience and then I went to um, a private college and I have a bachelor's of arts degree in English and a bachelor of arts degree in history so I was destined to educate Sounds like it. <laughs> yes. I 
let's see. Grade school, I was in private school. And high school, I was in private school. College, I went to State University of Maryland and got a bachelor's in language arts or language literature arts, whatever it's called. And um, (laughs) not to trivialize it, but there's a lot of words there. And I have a master's in professional writing from another local university. And that would be my school background. Do you think that your educational background played a part in your personal ability to homeschool your kid? Like, do you think that someone needs to have a higher education in order to homeschool their kids? I do not think at all that you need a higher education to homeschool your children. I recently found out that in D.C., you're not able to homeschool your children if at least one of the parents does not have a bachelor's degree. Oh, wow. And I was kind of floored. Like, are you serious? Since when does that make you qualify to be an educator? That's interesting. I I had no idea that they had those type of laws. I'm going to double check that because I heard someone say that. My mouth was open like, are you for real? That is... Uh, that's crazy. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to answer the question from my viewpoint. I don't think that you need to have a higher education to teach your kids. It's definitely especially in the early years like elementary school years, as long as you have a good firm foundation and you love to learn along with your kids and you can Um, share that information well, and your kids have a desire to learn, I think that's really all the foundation that you need. I do think that having a higher education gave me more discipline to be more willing to think outside of the box and, and learn things in other ways. I think I've by going to college, I think I became a more flexible learner, but I don't think that that's necessarily universal. So I think it helped me, it helped give me the confidence, but I don't think it's necessary for other people. And I don't, I definitely am not in favor of state requirements for education based on the parents um, matriculation. I, I don't agree with that, but, um, you know, I'm, I definitely do see where it came in handy in my personal life and how I tend to educate myself. I think, you know, when you go to college, you become more comfortable, not in all instances, but I became more comfortable with learning how to 
find information, utilize that information, and then apply it. And that's where I think it became more helpful for me. Okay, we may need to strike that from the record because I'm not seeing anything that supports that. <laughs> that's what I get for not checking in stuff myself because I know better. But I would agree with you there that, you know, my own experience has definitely colored the way I teach them and the way I interact with them in terms of, I mean, well, in terms of being black, I think that my education definitely has made a very, (laughs) my education has definitely made an imprint on that because private school I went to, well, both private schools that I went to were all black. So I have a very rich knowledge of black history here in America and before. So I know more about that, but I couldn't tell you how many presidents and who was doing what. I, I don't have the American history down to such, you know, detailed events like that. Because I guess partly maybe because it never truly interested me like that. Right. It's not that you weren't necessarily taught. It's just that if you weren't no. into it, maybe you didn't remember it. No, I mean, we didn't. I can't say that we ever really covered those things. It was more, even when, like, um, Mr. Fielder's, class was that world history he taught or or u.s history history. somebody taught us u.s history okay yes as well there you go so so let me (laughs) callers don't know our connections (laughs) so well they're not our callers (laughs) our listeners don't know our connection l and i (laughs) editing l and i went to high school together i met her our sophomore year, that was... We were like 14 years old when we became friends. And it just so happened that we grew up to live near each other later down in life. Because I want to say before we had kids, I hadn't seen her since high school. Yeah, I think that's accurate. <laughs> no, we ran into each other once. Well, yeah, here and there. But, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff happens. Right, but that's it. We... um and then we connected. Our kids um, are around the same age. I also want you to tell everybody about what um, the ages of your kids are so that they'll have a better understanding. So I have four children. My oldest is 11, young lady. And the second young lady, she is five. And I have a three-year-old that's going to be four in just a few short weeks. That's a little boy. And my youngest, another little boy, is one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow. So I have two kids. My two children are both 10. They are twins, so they're the same age. So we've been... <laughs> that happens, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
So for me, the whole education process in our homeschool is kind of similar in that everything that I teach them is pretty much the same. So I don't have to deal with the multiple grades. So my experience is probably different from most because they're in the exact same grade. So it does make it a little bit easier. And I recognize that. Yeah, because I know splitting my time, like this morning when we were doing morning work, I was <laughs> I was doing fractions with my 11-year-old and I was doing picture counting and sentence writing with my five-year-old. And then the three-year-old comes in and so... I had to wrap something up so that we could read. <laughs> so there's, it takes a lot of coordination. That's all I can say. And I know that um, like in the different Facebook groups are um, just other people who have multiple children of various ages that are interested in homeschooling. Sometimes they wonder, how do you make it work? Like, what do you do? So you mentioned that you have a one-year-old. A one-year-old isn't self-sufficient enough to occupy himself without the supervision. So how do you, like, if there's something that you're teaching the older to, how, what, what do you do with him? In terms of making things work with multiple level children, so I have several walls that have been written on. That's the short answer. Because, yes, he's not self-sufficient. And sometimes he does manage to get away from me when I'm trying to keep an eye on him. But I'm really focusing more on teaching a new concept or something. That's when the drawings appear on the walls. Um, so... A lot of times I try to do the introduction of new concepts or things that I know I really have to be involved in when he's napping or when dad's home. Other times I just kind of just strap him to me and we get to work and my 11-year-old, she gets distracted kind of easily, and I have to do more damage control. It gets, it's, it's difficult sometimes, but a lot of times I'll just let one, you know, I'll give them something different to do so I can focus on the 11-year-old, and then I'll switch, and now I'm with the 5-year-old, and we're doing more of whatever it is that she needs. And that's kind of how it works. And then, you know, Mira will go off and she's doing whatever it is that she's doing, whether it's something that's completely leisurely or... Or school. If she's, yeah. That makes sense. So one of the things that is different about us is that my children have always been homeschooled. And they've never been to a traditional school. But your 
daughter and your experience is a little bit different. Can you share a little bit about the differences with us? So I took a mirror out of public school in the middle of third grade. I didn't like the way things were going. My thought was, if you're at school all day and you're being instructed and then you come home and everything that's in front of you, you're treating it as if it were brand new Mm -hmm. and I have to instruct you in depth, why am I sending you out of the house? Mm -hmm. So if I still have to be the teacher, then why don't I just be the teacher? So you felt like you're already doing it, so you might as well do it on your own time, something that fits your family and you can be flexible with. Wow, okay. We do it on our own terms and we could, you know, learn what we're interested in and we can tailor things to speed up or slow down as needed. And yeah. Right. And I think you just mentioned something that I think is really the ultimate beauty of homeschooling. And that's that the educational experience should be tailored to the child. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about a whole classroom and what level they're on. So whether you need to start higher or lower or in the middle or wherever, you base that on the child, where you need to start. And that's why a lot of homeschoolers don't necessarily go by the traditional grade system. Yeah, I like the level action a lot better. It makes more sense to me. Right. So sometimes people ask homeschoolers, oh, what grade are you in? And sometimes they don't have an answer. (laughs) They're looking at people like, I don't even know what to say. But um, this is why, because their education system is based on them and not necessarily based on a traditional academic setting. In my experience with my girls, I do use so I do use a curriculum level book, um, and I try to teach. I try to make sure that they learn concepts that are on their grade level in case something would happen in the future. And I may, you know, if I would have to send them to school, it wouldn't be um, totally different. So if I ever have to put them back in school or in school period, they would be able to pick up from where they are. And I feel like they would be able to do that from the concepts and the education, educational materials that we've used in our home. Do you have any advice for parents who are saying, I'm noticing some things in my child and I see that they're struggling in one area or I need to push them um, and challenge them in other areas. Do you have any advice for parents who are facing a similar um, plight that you faced when your daughter was in school? Um, well, getting a tutor is an option if it's, if it's just one area or maybe two, you know, if it's, if you don't have to worry about 
the overall instruction. A tutor is an option. Um, you could even there's loads of apps and and programs online that you could employ to help further their whether it's math, science, whatever the subject is that's given them. Right. So that's one thing you could do if you're not ready or willing to take the leap of taking them out of school altogether. Um, I knew that when I had my first son, I knew I was going to end up becoming a homeschool parent. I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with the way I have seen the public school system work with some of the males in my family. Okay. And based on that, I did not want to subject him to that. And as he's growing and I see the, you know, this personality, he's he would be one of those boys that would be singled out every time because he's very energetic. He loves to have fun. He's very heart-led. He leads with his emotions and not his brain. He's, you know, he thinks, you know, he's calculated and all that kind of stuff, but he really does lead with his heart first. And school system isn't, set up for children that are more emotionally based. Right. And he would have, he would have trouble. He's got this little, (laughs) he has this little attitude, this real masculine quality about him. I mean, he's really a guy's guy. He's got these broad shoulders. Yeah, he got these broad shoulders and he's, strutting around like he knows something it's it's a sight to see and I can see how you know I'm gonna go here as a black woman I know that often we our skin is weaponized and so before you before people take the time to talk to us or ask any questions, they see that first. And they react to us based off of that before anything else. And so knowing his disposition and personality and the way the world perceives, can't do it. Okay. Not in good conscience anyway. Fair enough. Fair enough. So with my kids, I know that um, I don't necessarily anticipate that I'll be homeschooling forever. Um, (laughs) A matter of fact, I'm actually thinking um, of putting them. So I, right now, my kids have, they take extracurricular classes and they take those classes from someone else. So I teach them their core academics and then they go to classes for some of the fun stuff. (laughs) stuff. 
<laughs> that's how they view it, the fun stuff. So um, next year, I want to give them more fun stuff, um, more STEM classes. And while they do STEM activities at home, I want them to have a a larger experience, a more robust experience with those subjects because I know that that's where their heart is. And so um, I definitely, I'm looking forward to redefining how we homeschool a little bit next year. Um, it'll, for us, it'll be three days a week. It won't be every day, um, but it will give them an opportunity to have another instructor and person who, you know, leads their academics other than mom. So I'm looking forward to see how that will go. Yeah, I was considering doing an umbrella that has that same sort of setup where you've got a day or two or three a week where they can go to a center or facility, whatever it is, I'm really not sure, and interact with other young people. So you just use a term that we haven't discussed in the past that I would love for you to kind of um, share a little bit because so in the homeschooling community, an umbrella is is a term that other people may not not be so familiar with. Can you tell us a little bit about so there are umbrellas, there are co-ops. Well, OK, so. In Maryland, you can choose to either be reviewed by the county, which I have nothing against. I have had wonderful experiences doing that so far. Or you can choose to be reviewed by a county, I don't want to say appointed, but let's say county approved organization. And those are called umbrellas. So you can you know, instruct your children in the manner you see fit. And then instead of going to review with a teacher or a former teacher, I'm not really sure exactly what their credentials are to be a homeschool reviewer, but I know that they definitely are all teachers or have been at some point. They all were at some point. Well, actually, not all of them. There was one person who I think has not actually been a teacher. He helped write Komar. Um, so I think... Um, but he still has some kind of educational background yeah, or exactly. maybe a psychological or something like that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they, the, all of those people have some background in education, if not having been an actual educator themselves. And the umbrella... I, I haven't gone through that before, so I'm not totally sure if those are. I've read in some umbrellas that they pair parents with other parents to review one another's work. Um, I've seen also some that have educators that are reviewing your portfolio. So I'm not... You know, totally sure. I guess, like I said, it depends on the umbrella that you choose. Some of them have tutors. Some of them have, um, have, it's not a, quite a co-op, but like you were, like how you were saying, you know, 
you can go to a place two or three times, two or three days a week, and they have actual instruction and activities and things. So it seems to me that they're very broad. There's, it seems to me that the larger portion of them are religious institutions. And there are some that are secular, but my, my question about that, I don't know if you have the answer is do they, do the religious umbrellas in, well, not enforce, but do they require you to instruct them, your children in a religious way? I don't think so. Um, no, you, so my understanding about the religious ones is like there was a church that's basically helping to um, oversee, like, let's say they need funding. It's like the one organization that's getting everybody together where there's a meeting of the minds and it was just easier under the guidance of the church. Um, but no, like everybody who signs up for an umbrella, they don't even have to be a part of the church. Um, they may be offering classes that um, you know, people are just interested in, um, but I'm sure that you, you have some sort of connection with them to want to be involved. But no, I, I've actually gone to, um, field trips with my kids and I've met people who aren't, um, religious at all, but were under a religious umbrella, um, because that was like in their neighborhood, in their community. And, you know, so the people that were involved were often their neighbors and they wanted their kids to have, you know, people that they knew. So that's why they joined it. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. And a co-op really means a lot of times that the parent has to be heavily involved. And that's that's what makes it a bit different, because parents with a co-op, you're cooperating essentially and working together. So often in those, the parents may be teaching a class um, or they're um, sitting in the class with their kids and learning right alongside of them. So you have to be, you are involved in some way. So whether it's watching the younger kids, you know, cause sometimes they may have younger siblings while the other tutors are, you know, sharing the educational knowledge, somebody has to watch those other siblings. And sometimes it's a group of parents, so they can work in a variety of different ways. And so you have to find um, a group of people that you feel comfortable with. So it could be, yeah, that's the, that's the hard part. But because homeschooling is so popular now, there are a lot to choose from. Yeah. I find that when I've looked laundry list of places, it's like, hmm. I'm for this upcoming school year, I think I am going to more seriously entertain that. Yeah, I think this is what most people say is, so how are your children gonna be socialized? I think that's absolutely ridiculous. What do you mean? I, so I'm supposed to entrust my child's learning how to interact with people to other children? 
that doesn't make sense to me. I do understand that if you put Lord of the Flies, if you put children together, they're automatically going to create this hierarchy or society amongst themselves. You know, they're going to self-regulate to some degree. But it's not another child's job to make sure that a friend or a potential friend knows how to interact and communicate with them. That's, I mean, come on, that that just doesn't make sense to me. But I see on the flip side of that coin, I think it's just learning how to interact with people in general, whether they're children or adults. I mean, you wouldn't entrust a dog to teach your child how to interact with dogs, would you? (laughs) No, you, the adult, you ask the owner if the dog is okay to touch or to talk to or play with or whatever. You don't just run up, ooh, doggy, stick your hand out and lose your fingertips. No, that's not the correct protocol. So why would you, and I'm not calling these children dogs, (laughs) but that whole learning how to have a friend or learning how to communicate and interact peers yeah is not strictly within the confines of school yeah that doesn't happen at school i mean you go to the playground and we learn we have to take turns we can't all go down this slide together we've got to line up and go down by default by living life itself right so one thing that um, when you mentioned socialization, I remember when your daughter was in school and I remember um, asking her, oh, you know, do you talk to your friends all day or, you know, are you able to hang out with your friends and talk? And she was like, no, we can't talk. We can't talk at lunch. I was like, <laughs> I know. I was like, Girl. what? <laughs> what do you mean you can't talk at lunch? She was like, we don't talk in the lunchroom. So I was like, when do you talk to them? Only at recess. So I think that sometimes, you know, this was true for her school, but it's true in a lot of schools that they're not, they're not able to talk in the classroom. They're not able to talk at lunchtime. The one time that they get, and some schools don't even go out for recess every day, but the one time that they get is on the, is at recess. And so if that's something that is in the forefront of your mind, then don't think that sending your kid to public school is this big avenue for socialization because it isn't. It's more an avenue for sitting and listening. So if that's your goal, like I just want my kid to sit and listen to somebody talk, then they're more equipped to be taught how to do that on a regular basis than going out and talking to their peers because there's a very limited amount of time for them to do that at some schools, not all. I think that's, in, in essence, it's 
true for a large portion. I think that the reason why they weren't able to talk at lunch is just based on history. The kids get so loud and the entire school is not at lunch at the same time. So you still have other children who are in their classrooms. And if you guys are in here screaming and having a rip roaring time, you're disrupting other classes. Not to mention, what if somebody needs to tell you guys something? Now the teachers are over here hollering, trying to tell you, hey, don't throw your bologna sandwich at Johnny or whatever is happening, right? I also think that when you said about just sitting and listening, I think that's where they started bringing in the idea of centers so that the children aren't just sitting at their desk all day. They move from spot to spot. I think it's also in response to allowing the teachers more smaller class size within the larger class size. So if we break up the class so that now I'm spending my time with these eight children in front of me while we're doing whatever it is. And then this group of 10 is over here in the reading corner. And then this group of eight is over here doing whatever, you know, we kind of break it up. So they're not only sitting down listening, you know, we're moving around that way. The teacher is able to give each child close to some one-on-one attention kind of thing right so when when i was in public school this is how it was so we did have centers and but we were able to talk at lunchtime but our whole school for the most part well it was a smaller private school we were all at lunch at the same time so we i i went to a larger um, public school and i wouldn't say we were all in there at the same time but we were definitely able to talk. and um, But that was when some classes went to library, some classes did um, dance, some classes did music, some classes, that was kind of around the time where if they had finished lunch, they would go to their elective PE. So it wasn't necessarily they were sitting in the classroom. Um, but it definitely was, you know, for me, I'm gonna say, I had a very positive public school, elementary school experience. And I loved it. I, I love school. Um, it was during the time that computers were introduced to the classrooms. That's kind of dating myself, but it's true. So at the time in my kindergarten class, there was one computer in the class and all the kids, all the kids would take turns and they would be able to use the computer. Um, by the time I reached third grade, we had a full computer lab. So we were able to, um, and it would be based on your learning. So you would learn, uh, you would have like these games that you would play that would test your knowledge and you would get certificates once you completed those levels. Computers in the classroom. I'm really thinking, did, did we have computers? I don't think we ever had no computer in the classroom. I'm gonna tell you what I remember having in the classroom. This was <laughs> dating myself. Mariah Carey's Christmas album. 
Okay. We had a little tape deck, and when the teacher would leave the classroom, one of the Tiffany's, we had like five Tiffany's in our classroom, one of the Tiffany's would reach back and hit play, and we would be jamming. That's what we had in our classroom. We didn't have no computers, and I don't ever remember... Even by the time we were in eighth grade, we didn't have we didn't have no computers. I remember when maybe ooh, third or fourth grade when the school secretary got a Mac. So we had a Mac. We had an Apple computer in fifth grade. And I remember because the game on the computer was the puzzle game where you put the Apple back together. And in fifth grade, I was the first person in my class to put the Apple back together. And my teacher gave me a prize. Like she stopped the class to tell all the, all the students that I had I had put it back together. And look, if you're a teacher, don't do that because the kids were like, "What? She thinks she's?" It just caused problems. But it was definitely. I remember that Mac. It was big and boxy. Yes, they were so square. Right. But it was fun. So. Wow, you know, we've definitely come a long way in a short time because, yeah, so we, you know, and that's one thing we just mentioned that has made homeschooling much easier, computers, because a lot of the things that I learned, like I, I have a wealth of information. And this is another thing that we talked about earlier with, um, do you have to have a degree in order to teach your kids because there's so much education on computers the parent is really just the facilitator. They show the kids, because the kids are digital natives. They'll they'll tell you the stuff like, okay, so I'm not that great at Minecraft, but my kids, they can tell me about Minecraft. They've read the books. They can tell me how to do things. So I, I would let them explore and then tell me about it. And that was really, you know, it's just making sure that your kids, you do have to watch to make sure that they're safe and their perimeters are, you know, acceptable. And as long as that's the case, then they can learn. And so I feel like you're at a whole new, new. you have a whole new advantage when you have a computer because you can, you know, there's something called out school. You can get somebody to teach you all types of um, classes. So if there's a subject that you're not so strong at, you can hire a tutor that can Skype right into your house and teach your kid. So I had actually signed my kids up for a math tutor who would Skype in and teach my kids at the same time. So you have so much more at your disposal than they did when we were little. Even for self-educating, I mean, there's so many resources. All you have to be and free. (laughs) Type in free worksheets on fractions. What? How many... How many worksheets do you have time to go through to pick one? (laughs) There's all kinds of, I mean, there's just interactive things, old school worksheets, um, hands-on activities. There's so many avenues to take. It's a little overwhelming sometimes. When you go to the show notes page, um, it's cleverlychanging.com slash category um, slash podcast. If you go to that page, we're going to put in the show notes, we're going to put our favorite 
um, our favorite resources that we use for our homeschools. So we're talking about worksheets. We're talking about, so we're going to put the sites that are our favorite on there. So you can take, so that you can take a look and utilize them if they, you know, even if you don't homeschool, because this podcast isn't just for homeschoolers, we're just sharing our homeschool perspective, but these are great tools. If you want to supplement your kids' education and Whatever school your kid, public, private, whatever, we highly recommend that you supplement their education because we just live in a world where, you know, if your kid is interested in a certain thing, they may not be getting all of that information at school. So you may want to supplement and um, provide them areas where they may need a little bit more um, information. So we're going to put that information in the show notes page and we could talk about this subject for hours, but we know that we have to be time sensitive. So we encourage you to tune in again. Our podcast is bi-weekly. And so we will definitely share more. If you have any topics that you want us to touch on and share, please visit Cleverly Changing send an email to cleverlychanging at gmail.com and we will put in the subject line podcast topics and we will uh, add that conversation to our weekly broadcast and we hope that you will share this podcast with a friend. If you are an iTunes podcast listener or SoundCloud, please follow us and also leave us a review. We need reviews. So thank you all for tuning in and we appreciate you.